Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. God bless you more than you could possibly imagine. He's after you, you know. He knows your address, knows what you look like. He's got your number. Uh, He's more regular than Santa Claus. (laughs) He comes once a year. Um, Christmas for many people can be a wonderful time and for many it can be a very underwhelming time as well because you're faced with something that um, you hoped for more of. Uh, We appreciate that. What I mean is we understand that. And, um, and yet I'd like to share a message with you today. We start a, a um, new series, uh, which I think is just called For Unto Us. Is that right? It's close. Oh, look at the screen. Oh, look, Unto Us. And um, uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful, there's a penultimate Bible verse in Isaiah. Isaiah wrote this verse 700 years before it came to pass. And it's, it, in one verse, it speaks of the past, the present and the future. It's one of those, you know, <laughs> you'd be a brave man to say one verse or to look God in the face and say there was one verse that was more important than others because I think he believes in every verse in the Bible. <laughs> but this is one of those zingers I wonder if you'd say it with me, but don't just say it. Read it as if your life depended on it. It goes like this. For unto us a child is... Come on now, help me out now. For unto us a child is born. Unto us... I still feel like I'm doing this on my own. Will you help me? I'd love it if everybody helped me. For unto us a child is born. Unto us... A son is given and the government shall rest upon his shoulders. I, I often think about that and I think what a terrible job human beings are doing of running the world. Communist dictators, megalomaniacs, killers, capitalist pride. We've got it everywhere and we're trying to run the planet. But the Bible says that the government will rest upon his shoulders and his name shall be called. Come on. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And uh, what's the last bit? And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Are you looking forward to that? It's so good to see you all here this morning. I, I wish I knew you all by name. I love walking into a, a church full of people that love Jesus and we can all say, hello, Frank, but, uh, <laughs> or Jean or whoever. But here's the verse that has those two words in it that I'd like to share with you today. Wonderful counsellor. And, you know, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a verse, there's another verse which kind of helps put in perspective what happened. Make, make no mistake about this. When Mary conceived, 
the Son of God that day in her womb, it was a full-scale invasion by the kingdom of heaven onto planet Earth. It came with purpose. It wasn't just gentle Jesus, meek and mild. I can imagine the conversations that went around in heaven between the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, it's time. You can imagine, wow, on the countdown to a crucifixion. But there was a, there was a, a, a godly grip on Jesus' heart that brought him here with a purpose and through his amazing life, which I uh, only comprehend to some small degree, he came and he was born and he, and, and he brought heaven to earth. The, the verse I'd like you to see is the next one and that's why I've got my ladder here. Mike, Mike Radbron is the king of puns. Mike, is this the kind of ladder Leslie gets in her stocking? <laughs> I always wait for it to come back to me. And this verse says, if I turn around, I'll probably fall off the ladder. But in essence, it talks about Jesus coming. And what are the last two words in this verse? And so when Jesus came to earth, it says that he didn't count it robbery to leave the amazing glory of heaven, the beauty, the perfection of it. But there's a higher, he came down through the hierarchy, came down past archangels, he came to angels, he came down past Satan, he came down, down, down past powers and principalities and world rulers of darkness and then he stepped into something. It was called miry clay. If you want to know what that word miry refers to, um, let, me, let me paint you a picture. When I, was, when I used to be involved in agriculture, I'd visit dairy farms. And uh, often they had uh, pigs out the back in their yards to... Uh, you know, to consume the separated milk from the, from the cream they'd made. And you know what? I just feel like moving this. Just, just pretend I didn't get off the bottom rung of the ladder. <laughs> and um, and, and uh, in that pen, I mean, have you ever heard of that scripture which says when a person turns away from Christ, they return to their sin like a pig returns to its mire. That's the old word, or to, it, to the stuff it used to lie in. And these old pig pens were made on a slope. They had a hut up the top and the pigs would lie in their, in their stuff. But then all of their poo and wee... Would, would drip down, would slide down to the bottom of the pig pen. And if you look up what the word miry means, it, it, this is Dr Strong or Mr Strong's concordance, he describes it as effervescent, as in fermenting, as in dregs, 
as in toxic, as in some evil mixture that is bubbling away. And as, as lovely as you and I think the world is on some occasions, compared to where the Son of God came from to come to us, he was stepping into the very bottom of the pig pen and getting his feet dirty and his hands dirty and he came down to where you and I and if, if a human being has any ideas of how grand they are, well, you can forget that. That's the stuff we were born physically into. Every human being was born into the wrong kingdom. We were born into the kingdom of darkness. That's why we had to be born again into the kingdom of God. Anna, I won't need you for this. I'm just thinking I'm going to give it a bash myself. Am that right? Because I sound more like the, this bloke that sang it first than you do. You were too sweet this morning, as beautiful as it was. It just didn't sound like him, did it? No, it sounded like an angel. In 1967, the USA commissioned two jazz musicians, Bob Teal and George Weiss, to write a song to change the mood of America. The song went something like this, emphasis on something. <laughs> I see trees of green. How am I doing? Red roses too. I see them bloom. Why aren't you joining in? And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, bright blessed days in the dark sacred nights, in the dark sacred nights. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see colours. No, 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 no. It's a, <laughs> a, man, a man could get launched in a song like that, but you've got to understand the backstory to it. It was written in 1967 because by that time there was almost civil unrest, civil war between Americans who agreed with the Vietnamese War and those who didn't. Um, the Vietnamese War had been raging for 12 years. There was immense racial tension and so the, they wrote the song for this reason, that the world was not such a wonderful place. But they thought a song might help people lift their eyes. And not to make things worse than they are, but listen to some stats because this is our world today. Every year there are 40 to 60 million abortions. Can you believe that we, we kill our children? And now, of course, there are bills going through Parliament to allow children to kill their parents. Seriously, of course. And if that's the case, then there are 40 to 60 million mothers who are probably experiencing post-abortion trauma, uh, post trauma. What a sad thing. First time marriages around the world, there's a 41% breakdown. Every 40 seconds, a person commits suicide somewhere in the world. 
Her healthcare expense worldwide is five trillion one hundred and fifty-five billion two hundred and fifty million US dollars. Eighty-two point four forcibly a million people are forcibly displaced from their homes every year. The current world population is nearly eight billion. We're we've, we're we're on seven point nine billion people. And what that means to this heart is this, that there are 7.9 billion individuals who desperately need a wonderful counsellor. Oh, Jesus, help us. I was one of those people. Uh, for those of you that don't know my story, and why would you? But I was involved in ministry for many, many years and uh, the first, the second really, the church we were involved in was in Port Macquarie. And, um, and, and it was an interesting situation because before I went into ministry as a Christian, you could enthusiastically lay hands upon anybody and pray for them. You know, be healed, be released and be set free in Jesus' name and... And that would be the end of it. But as soon as I became a pastor, people, would, people started coming back and telling me that it didn't work. <laughs> what was I going to do? Look, thank you for praying for me, but I'm still sick. Thank you for praying for me, but I'm still depressed. In other words, the thing that was meant to happen wasn't happening because every time you and I pray for somebody, Every time we lay hands on somebody in Jesus' name, there is meant to be an impartation of power that sets somebody free from whatever circumstances in their life that have bound them up. You know that, I know that, and I was faced with a problem. And I didn't know what to do, but you know what? I went to a person called um, a Wonderful Counselor. And it was wonderful. And, and I started to pray for people. One day a lady came, she was an older lady whose husband had died some years before and she came to me and we started to pray for her and uh, it was interesting because when she lost her husband she, was, she missed him so deeply and she didn't know this was wrong. She started to attend seances because she was told that she could contact her dead husband on the other side through the, you know, through the seance and and, but she was getting more depressed and more upset, and you know as well as I do, that when you talk, when you talk to a so-called person from the other side in a seance, you're really just communicating with a demon who's impersonating that person. Anyway, so Olive, what a good old country name. Olive came and we were praying, and I've got to say, I was getting absolutely nowhere. Uh, all the power, you, you know, you, a big fat zero could have represented the amount of power that was flowing into poor Olive's life as I was agonising in prayer and other, it wasn't just me, but it was others as well, I was just leading. And in the middle of that, realising nothing was happening and no power was being released and nothing was shifting in Olive's life, uh, I cried out to God. And wonderful counsellor spoke to me. He, he, all he did was say one verse in the Bible. He said, Matthew 6, 6. 
And so while Olive is sitting there kind of hoping and praying and whatever, I quickly open my Bible and turn to Matthew 6.6. And it says this, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room and shut the door behind you and your heavenly Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And I thought, okay, so it occurred to me by this time, I now am being anointed by God to know what to do. And so I just took a step by step through that verse. I said, Olive, can you see a door? She said, I can. I thought, well, we're off to a flying start here. Um, Now, can you go in through the doorway? Yes, she said, I've just gone. I said, would you close the door behind you? I've closed the door, she said. I said, now, there's someone in that room waiting to meet you. Turn around and see who they are. You know, it occurred to me that I should stop praying and I should start being more like a tour guide. Yeah? And so all I did, I didn't tell her who she was going to see. She turned around and her heart, I've got to say, her heart just opened up. She, she, she just... She just blossom before my eyes uh, a look came on her face she said it's my heavenly father and (laughs) I didn't tell her anything like that by the time I mean we must have prayed for an hour an hour and a half and it went past like five minutes and when we were finished Olive knew that she didn't want to talk to a demon anymore in seances she knew that her husband was safe in the arms of Jesus and she knew that Jesus Christ was her new husband and that her father was ready to do life with heavenly father was ready to do life with her beyond that room look some people kindly say David you've done the journey Um, I've got to say nobody has done the journey that still today they do not have as desperate a need for wonderful counsellor as they did the first day they started. And that particular day, that wonderful counsellor came to us in that room and he taught me how to counsel. The counsellor taught me how to counsel. And now these days if people come for prayer, It's just automatic. Of course you would lead them to God. But where is God and where are the counselling rooms? Well, once you see that, you can go there. You can go there any time you want. You can pick up on that little truth and you can enlarge your prayer life and expand it and enrich it uh, in the next hour if you'd like to. Do you know, when it talks, let me just share one thing with you. It's... It's the word wonderful out of wonderful counsellor. That word wonderful actually means miraculous. It doesn't mean he's just good at his job. The word word counsellor means to have a conversation with someone. But but in my life, and I love counselling... But in my life, I've seen counsellors, good counsellors, pretty good counsellors. But then there's one other person called the wonderful counsellor. And, and good counsellors 
can give you relief and give you comfort and help you get through your circumstances and almost make you comfortable in your pain, but not wonderful counsellor. When wonderful counsellor turns up, miracle power is released and people are not just comforted in their pain, but they're lifted out of that into a new season of their life. So... So here's a wonderful promise just to encourage you today from Psalm 32, 8. And it says this, it's up here. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. You mean God's looking at me? He's doing more than looking at you, friend. He, you know, he, most people think God is just watching them. Oh, no, he's with you. He's better than watching you. He's there right there. I will never leave you or forsake you. Anyway, to give you a couple of instances, I'm, I'm giving you, I want to tell you a couple of stories about how I've experienced wonderful counsellor. Uh, you know, that's just not a good verse. That's, that's, that's important to live by. And um, when I was back in Port Macquarie, that was kind of like what I told you before was kind of like an introduction to it. But it became so important to, to understand that and uh, one instance that I had where wonderful counsellor helped me when I was pastoring the church, I, it was my practice to go up into the hills to a little cabin that people let me use right up away from everybody else. And three or four times a year, I would uh, spend three or four days fasting and praying and just separating myself totally. No radios, no television, no nothing, just just me and God. Oh, Jesus. You know, I just feel pause for a second and say, that's speaking to somebody right here because you're so wrapped up in the busyness of life and the best thing you can do is wait, take time away and spend some time in his presence. You'll be amazed how quickly God meets you when you set your heart to meet him. But let me go back to the story. And so I waited on him and worshipped and read the word and prayed and I was sitting on a log under a tree one day and um, I remember the, the, the moment graphically because while I was sitting on this log, a black snake just wriggled past me and <laughs> went down the hill. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, there's adultery in the church. And um, I said, oh, okay. And immediately I thought I knew who he was talking about uh, because a couple had come uh, who weren't married had come from West Australia to the East Coast of Australia, probably to try, to try and get away from everything. And, uh, and they weren't yet married, but they'd formed a family and they started attending the church that I was pastoring. And, um, you know, they're a lovely couple and for some reason I could be pretty abrupt in those days as a younger man and, you know, be too sudden with people. And... and but but for some reason, I, Holy Spirit must have just graced me with a patience to, you know, not to do anything, but just to let it play itself out. And uh, and so I said to the Lord, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I'll get, I'll get, as soon as I get back, I'll attend to it. Well, that was good. But about four hours later, he said the same thing to me. David, there's adultery in the church. And I said, all right, Holy Spirit, I, I, I heard you the first time. When I get back, 
I'll do something, I'll attend to it, I'll, I'll get right onto it. Well, this kept going until I left the property over the next couple of days. David, there's adultery in the church. And by the time I'd heard it about a dozen times, um, maybe that's an exaggeration, but a number of times, uh, I was kind of thinking, does he think I'm hard of hearing? Well, the person he was speaking to was hard of hearing because it wasn't that couple. When I got back to the church, um, uh, it was another couple in my leadership team where the husband had jumped out of his family and the wife of another leadership had jumped, a team had jumped into a relationship together and they were in full-blown adultery. Well, remember, wonderful counsellor, what happens is that he not only tells you, advises you, has a conversation with you, but when those words are released into your life, they come with power. They come with power. And I've, I, I'm, the, I'm the happiest man in the world to tell you that we worked, it was tense there for about three or four months, but to, but to tell you that 40 years later, they're still married to their rightful mates, their kids are going on for God, and so are they. Why? Because we got the advice and we got the power to resolve the situation wonderful counselor was on the job later on say after you know when when the heat and the tension of this experience subsided i actually went back to god and i said holy spirit um why didn't you tell me about the first couple the couple i thought you were telling me about uh, why did, you know, what, what was the difference between them in their adultery and this couple in their adultery? And he counselled me again. I'm so grateful for Holy Spirit. I must be the dumbest thing on two legs, but when he talks to me, I get wisdom. And he said to me, David, that first couple, they were coming out of it. That second couple were getting into it and an intervention was required. And I thought... Of course, but I couldn't see it. I needed wonderful counsellor to come, not just with information, but with power to help. Maybe I could, um, I could skip to this. No, no, I can do this. We moved from Port Macquarie as a family and went to Newcastle and... I was so disgusted with the church that I inherited. It was shocking. The old pastor's kids were sleeping around with the girls in the youth group and people were turning up to church in thongs and stubbies and T-shirts. Stubbies used to be a pair of pants you wore, not a glass of beer. <laughs> and and um, I was at my wit's end. I was saying, God, how do I lift this church? I used to call it, oh, I still do, my, my 15 degrees below zero church. It was the church we had to dig out of a hole just to make it breathe and live again. Anyway, not knowing what to do and being totally out of my brain with frustration and disgust and, and you know, a need for God to come through for us and not seeing any results. And then one day, he must have breathed into my spirit you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you don't even know it's him talking to you, but he puts the right ideas in your mind. 
and, and he said, run a building program, do renovations on your building. Well, this is Newcastle's a blue collar town. They love to work. They're tradesmen. So these tradies began to turn up through the day and they'd work till two or three o'clock in the morning. The most amazing thing happened is that when the people started to come to church on Sundays, the worship started to flow like a river to the throne of God. People started to smile. They hung around afterwards. They started to fall in love with each other and with Jesus and the word of God. They began to respond to the scriptures. The whole church began to come alive. Now, this is how dumb you can be. I had no idea what I'd done right. And so I had to go back to Wonderful Counselor and I had to say, Holy Spirit, what have I done right? I had no idea. And Holy Spirit said to me, this is a goodie. He said, David, as clearly as I'm saying it to you, David, people revolve around progress or problems. And if they don't have progress, they'll invent problems. I thought, why couldn't I have thought of that? And so mighty Holy Spirit comes. He breathes his information into us. He counsels us. But then with the counsel comes the power to lift and revive and restore and bring dead things to life again. Isn't that wonderful? I can remember one lady, and I'll finish with this story, came to me for counselling. She'd had an abortion. And... um, I did with her what I did with Olive. She was a really large lady. I remember that because she sat in one of my lounge chairs one day and the whole thing collapsed. (laughs) You never forget a moment like that in your life. It just, boom. But she was a wonderful, wonderful lady. And yet she was, for years, she had felt guilty about what she had done. Well, you know who Jesus is. He's the one that comes along and says, woman, where are your accusers? (laughs) He doesn't come along and point the finger. He comes along and delivers and releases people from these things so they can live again. Anyway, we were praying with this particular lady and we took her into the inner room just like I did with Olive. And and this, this lady, I said, what can you see? Oh, she said, The father's taking me to a beautiful playground. I said, really? I said, describe it to me as you're going. She said, well, I'm going to the fence. And she said, the Lord Jesus is bringing a little child over to the fence. (laughs) Oh, this cuts me up. And uh, I said, who's the baby? She said, it's mine. I said, what does the Lord want you to do? She said, he wants me to give a a name. (laughs) And so she gave her baby a name. And when she walked out of that room, she'd not only had the counsellor talk to her, but she'd had the power come through to deliver her totally from the guilt and the pain and the sin and the grief that she'd been living with all those years. See, 
This is what happens. This is what happens. He not only came down that ladder for us, but he came down and picked us up out of the miry clay. And he took us up past demons and up past powers and principalities and world rulers of darkness. And he took us up past Satan. And he took us up past angels and archangels. And friends, he seated us in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. That's what wonderful counsellor does. If counselling for you is just somebody coming down into your mess and giving you comfort while you're down there, that counsellor has missed the whole plan of what wonderful counselling is about. I think I've given you a reason to worship God here today. I've certainly given myself one. And I don't know why I feel impressed to share this, but when I lived in a little country town called Gloucester, we got mixed up with a bunch of youth that were on drugs and growing their own stuff in the ceiling under under lights and whatever. Ellie, I'm saying this for you, actually. And, um, and others. And one day one of these guys was around at my house and he was as high as a kite. His pupils were as big as marbles and, you know, you know how they are, we're on drugs. And, and for some reason, like you've got to understand Gloucester's only got 2,000 2, people in it at this stage. The streets are so wide you could build a parking lot from one side to the other. And he picked up his keys to drive his car to drive out and I snatched them off him. I said, you're on drugs, I'm not going to let you drive. Why I'd come up with that kind of wisdom, I'd never know. Because, you know, people only drove up that street once every three weeks. He, he, really, there was no danger to anybody, but I was the youth leader, so I was picking up the keys and I was not letting him drive under the influence of marijuana. Um, anyway, um, his name was Ken Rowney. I say it with emphasis for a reason, because Ken said, give him a keys back. I said, you're not getting them. He said, give him a keys back. We'd walked out onto the street by this time he said, give me my keys back. I said, you're not getting them while you're, while you're on drugs. He went to the car and pulled out one of those wheel spanners. You know, the ones that are kind of like them, shaped like a cross. He pulled out a wheel spanner, held it back like this and said, give me my keys back. Well, what was I going to do? <laughs> Capitulate? It wasn't in me to capitulate, but I noticed that my voice had been reduced to a whisper. I was so frightened. I said, I'm not giving you your keys back. <laughs> he let this wheel spanner go. It went straight over my right shoulder and it went end for end up 
the street for about 150, 200 metres before it came to a stop. I nearly died that night. Anyway, he wasn't anything to look at. He was as skinny as a beanpole. He had one eye that went that way, the other eye that went that way. And he, th- he posed no threat to anybody. But whenever the name Ken Rowney was spoken, I would go into a cold sweat. Why? Because fear had taken root on the inside of my life. And it wasn't long after that, say two or three weeks, when somebody came to town and they prayed for me in a prayer meeting. I fell down under the power of God and I felt as if a tightly coiled spring was suddenly released on the inside of me. I was counselled with power. What happened that morning was this, or night, whenever it happened, was this. I knew that God was my deliverer. I knew that he had the power over all fear. I knew that I'd been delivered and God was my deliverer and people would experience the same freedom that I had experienced all the way down through the years. I've taken way too much of your time. I appreciate that. And it's been remiss of me not to welcome all the online people. It's, you know, I'm glad you're there. I can't see you. You can see us. But you know, when I was preparing for this morning, I could just see it playing out like this, that there were people everywhere that needed wonderful counsellor. That's my question. Do you think the world still needs a counsellor, a wonderful one? Do you think we still need the power of God? I I believe we do. Of course we do. You don't believe anything, you can see it. But this is what I see. I see the anointing and the power of God coming. And I see God giving you online and all of us here in this room an opportunity to come before him and, and do something really important. Take a knee before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, back in the years gone by, people didn't lead people to Jesus Christ. They gave them an opportunity to pray themselves and to find a prayer deep down in here where they would say themselves without being prompted, God, I'm a sinner. I need a saviour. You know, or God, I'm a Christian, but I'm so bound up, it's ridiculous. I need to be set free. Or God, I've been far away from you. I've been ignoring you. I'm sorry that my circumstances spoke louder to me than your word did. Lord, I'm coming back. Whatever, from whatever situation we're in, come on in a room like this, every one of us have situations that we're facing and is there any person that would be brave enough to say, no, I don't need a wonderful counsellor? Is there anybody that would be so blind and dumb and deaf to say that? No, of course not. But in this beautiful atmosphere, what about we do that? I'm not going to ask you to pray a prayer that I lead you in. I'm going to ask you to pray your prayer. I wonder what Holy Spirit has been saying to you That's this part of the meeting right now. What has Holy Spirit been talking to you about while the band, the team have been leading us in worship, while I've been preaching? I don't care if you haven't heard one thing I've said. I'm so concerned that you've heard something from Holy Spirit, from wonderful counsellor. He will give you the gold. He will.
You know that. So why don't you stand with me? And you at home, why don't you stand as well? And where you are in your lounge room or wherever you are, why don't you, if you, if, if you know Holy Spirit is speaking to you, he will be, whatever he's saying to you, why don't you adopt, if, it's, if your knees will let you, adopt a posture of submission to God and take a knee and come before him and let him, let him have his way in your life. Let me pray for you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your presence in your house. Thank you for your glory that covers us. Thank you for opening our eyes to see you and our ears to hear you and our hearts to comprehend what you're saying to us. And we want to make the most emphatic response to you today. Mighty Holy Spirit, pour yourself into our lives. Lift us. Thank you for being our wonderful counsellor. And so as we, as we move back into worship, this is your opportunity. And, you know, you don't have to sing the words of the song. Sing in tongues. Sing, sing your own song. Come before him and worship him with spirit and in truth out of that deep place in your inner man. Amen.